Now, if you were here last week, you'll know that we've started a new sermon series following on from the Living in Love and Faith course. The course um, was, it's designed by the Church of England, and it's probably um, less of a course and more of a discussion group. It gave us the space to listen to each other, um, to listen to the experiences and the opinions of other people, some people who are wildly different from our own experiences and opinions. And now that we've listened to each other, we're going to spend the next few weeks listening to God speak to us from his word on issues of sexuality. Now, last week, um, I gave a bit of a health warning um, and also a potential disappointment. The health warning is that all of us are going to feel uncomfortable whatever our opinion on these issues is. You see, none of us has got this sorted. None of us think or act perfectly like Jesus. And we need to come before him humbly and ready to change. And I know quite a few of you have spoken to me already about some of the things that were said last week. Now, as for the potential disappointment, we're gonna take things slowly. We're not jumping in at the deep end but we've got some issues to clear up first. You see, last week we heard how God speaks to us through his word, the Bible, and all of it. It's all from him. And so we can't ignore parts of it and we can't add to parts of it. Jesus had some fairly strong words against such behavior. Instead, as Christians, we need to give God's word the total respect it deserves including the bits we might not like. Now, if you weren't here, the sermon is available on the internet and there are details on the back of the service sheet on how to listen. This week, we're going to think about what a Christian is and what Christians do. That sounds basic. Um, it might sound a bit like I'm gonna try and teach you how to suck eggs, but it's something that a lot of us get mixed up on. The next week, we're gonna think about what Jesus says marriage is and what it's for. And then the week after, we'll think about other issues of sexuality. Now, please speak to me after these sermons with any comments or questions. I'm keen to add in clarifications and corrections as we go. Um, I'm not perfect. I will make mistakes. So please do ask me or challenge me if anything doesn't seem quite right. But with that, let's pray to God for his help. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is like a light to our path. We pray, Lord, that you would indeed light the way this morning, that we would be focusing on what you say rather than what I say, that you would guard the words of my mouth and that you would guard the thoughts of all of our hearts Please would you be at work and would you speak? And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, with that um, introduction, I wanted us first to look at um, the passage from Ephesians. I'm beginning with Ephesians chapter 1 and 2. Um, and it says this. Oops, sorry, my clicker's misbehaving again. Okay. Verses 1 and 2 say this. You were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, 
following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. This is Paul describing what it was like for the Ephesians before they became Christians. And how did he describe them? He says they were dead. That's pretty stark, isn't it? He doesn't say they're misled or misguided or in the dark. He says it's much worse than that, that they're dead. And it actually, it highlights the gravity of the situation. If you're dead, you're without hope. You see, there's nothing they could do. They were completely powerless. And what was the most important thing for them? Well, verse 3 says, All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of flesh and senses. And we were by nature children of wrath like everyone else. The people were just led by their passions and their desires. That's what was most important to them, sensuality and the fulfillment of those things. And what did it lead to? It led to God's wrath. That's a pretty depressing state of affairs, isn't it? It's not really a nice way to start off on a sermon. Dead and under God's wrath. And if you're a Christian here today, well, this is what each one of us was like before we trusted in Jesus. And if you're not yet a Christian, and I might add, you're very, very welcome to be here. I'm aware that that probably feels a bit uncomfortable to have the Bible describe your spiritual na nature as dead. Well, please don't give up just yet. You see, that's the bad news. You were dead. That's what it says. But verse 4 begins with a wonderful, wonderful word. It says this. But. But there is hope after all. Somehow, Christians don't stay dead. There's a great spiritual resuscitation. But. But what? Well, verses 4 and 5 say this. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. How do people become alive spiritually? God makes us alive. It's all down to God. He does the work. Jesus' death, that defeated death for us. Jesus' resurrection, that is what brings life to us. But listen to it again. But God, who is rich in mercy out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Even when we were dead because of our trespasses, even when we were doing evil things, even then, God loved us and made us alive. That's mind-boggling, isn't it? 
How could God love us while we were evil? I don't understand that. But I know it's true. And it gets better. God made us alive together with Christ. And verse 6 says, And he raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Christians have been raised to life with Jesus. Not only that, we are seated with God in the heavenly places. Imagine sitting with the queen on her throne. In fact, don't. It's going to be far better than that. Imagine sitting with God on his throne. We're with God, with Jesus. And for all eternity, we're going to be blessed by him. The immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness in the ages to come. Now, sometimes when I talk to people about Jesus and what he's done, they reply with the question, they say, okay, Matt, fair enough, but why should I want to become a Christian? This is why. You see, being a Christian is the difference between being dead and being alive. And this life that Christians now have, it's so much better than the life we know. Life with God, seated with him, being blessed by him for all eternity. Wow. Why wouldn't you want to pick that? I wonder if sometimes I just don't grasp it enough and don't explain it well enough to other people. When you realize what we have, it's amazing. And did I tell you that it's all free? It's not down to us. It's not down to our efforts or works. It's not down to us being good enough for God. Before we became Christian, the Bible describes us as dead. And dead people can't do much. Sorry, that's actually an overestimation. Dead people can do nothing. It's true physically, and it's true spiritually as well. See, this is how we are made live. Verse 8 and nine, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. People become Christians by God's grace, not by their works or by their goodness. And because of that, we Christians have nothing to boast about. Just as being born was nothing to do with you, it wasn't because of you, it was your parents doing. I'm going to assume that you all know about the birds and the bees, um, and if not, ask one of the wardens. <laughs> but it's the same with spiritual birth. If you're a Christian here today, you're not a Christian because you have done anything, because of anything that you have done. That stops us from being smug, doesn't it? If you're a Christian, it's completely and utterly because of God, because of what he has done. And if you're not yet a Christian, well, there's nothing you can do to earn it. It's all down to God. 
That's humbling. That's why we can't boast. You see, if it was all down to my effort, well, I could feel good about being more able or more good or more clever, but I'm not. It wasn't my effort. It wasn't my goodness. It's all because of God, what he has done and his goodness. Now, this might raise a question with us. You might think, well, hold on a sec. Aren't Christians supposed to be good? Aren't they supposed to do live a good life and do good things? Yes, Christians are. But we need to have life before we can live it. Verses 8 and 9 again. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are God, what God has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. Becoming a Christian, moving from death to life, is here being described as being created. Created in Christ Jesus. We're created for a purpose, to do good works. You see, good works, they don't move us from death to life. Only God's grace can move us from death to life. But once we have that life, then we really live. And then the good works, they should naturally appear. Because that's our nature. That is how God has created us in Christ Jesus. Again, it's not death, good works, life. No, it's death, God's grace, and then life. And then that leads to the good works. Life first, by God, then good works. The good works come after. Now, you might be wondering, why am I banging on about this when we're supposed to be talking about sexuality? Well, there's two reasons. First is that I'm aware we often have people joining us who don't yet trust in Jesus. You might think that you're not good enough for God, or you might think that you have to try really hard to earn his favor. But you don't. You just have to ask. And if you'd like to know more about that, well, please speak to me afterwards, maybe over a cuppa, or just grab me um, outside. I would love to chat further with you. Or maybe even think about coming on the What If course. We'll be thinking more about some of these issues. But my other reason for explaining this again and again is that many of us know this in practice, but we act as if we don't. You see, all of us can put up barriers. It might be that we don't invite certain people to church. Or if they do come, well, we don't really welcome them or we, we try not to bump into them. Sometimes we think, well, those people, well, if they became Christians, they'd be a bit too much hassle. They'd be better suited elsewhere. They're not the right kind of people for St. Luke's. Or maybe there's certain things they do that we don't approve of. But no, that's not the point. You see, there are plenty of things that every Christian does that God doesn't approve of, including me, including you. 
In fact, without God, we would be better suited to not being part of his family. And if you want to talk about people being a hassle, well, Jesus had to die on the cross to give each one of us spiritual life. That is hassle. But he did it. Jesus died on the cross for each one of us. No one is beyond God's grace. That's what Paul is trying to explain. That's what Jesus is trying to explain in his word. All of us come freely. Jesus doesn't turn anybody away, so neither should we. Okay, well, I want to finish um, with our reading from John's Gospel. Um, I'm aware that it was quite a long reading, so I think you'll all be relieved to know I'm only going to focus on one verse rather than all 17. Um, It's part of Jesus' farewell discourse to his disciples. It's just before he was going to die on the cross. And he says this in in chapter 14, verse 15 of John's Gospel. He says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus says to his disciples, those who love him, that they will keep his commandments. And this is what we've been thinking about today and a bit last week as well. You see, Christians, we're those who have been given you life. We have a relationship with Jesus, a relationship because of his love, and we love him as well. Christians are those who love Jesus. And Christians, Jesus says, will keep his commandments. We'll do things that honour him, things that bring glory to him, good things. Okay, so far so good. That kind of makes sense from the Ephesians passage. But Jesus means more than just being nice. Other translations, they use the word obey instead of keep. If you love me, you will obey my commands. What Jesus is saying here is that love for him involves obedience, keeping his commands. But I want to push us just a little bit further. See, this is the really important part. Keeping Jesus' commands, obeying his commands, isn't the same as agreeing with him. Now, that's going to sound a bit strange. What I mean is, if you agree with Jesus, well, then you're not obeying him. You're just doing what you want to do anyway. If you agree with Jesus, you're not obeying him. You're just doing what you think is best. Obedience is what you do when you disagree. When you think you know better, but Jesus says something else. And then going along with Jesus, even though you disagree and feel uncomfortable, that is obedience. That's what it means to obey Jesus. Um, You might know C.S. Lewis. Um, You might not know that he has, um, he wrote not just his Chronicles of Narnia um, and not just his um, theological works like um, Mere Christianity. He also wrote um, a number of novels for adults Um, Some people describe it as science fiction. It's probably better described as kind of theological fiction. And in the second book, he has this um, this sort of, it's it's a bit like the Garden of Eden. 
um, and there are two characters discussing the fact that God has said this command that sounds arbitrary, that sounds really bizarre. Why on earth should we keep it? There's no reason. We, we probably know better. And this is what one of the characters says. I think God made one law of that kind in order that there might be obedience. In all these other matters, what you call obeying him is but doing what seems good in your eyes also. Is love content with that? You do them indeed because they are his will, but not only because they are his will. Where can you taste the joy of obeying unless he bids you do something for which his bidding is the only reason? When we spoke last, you said that if you told the beasts to walk on their heads, they would delight to do so. So I know that you understand well what I am saying. Where can you taste the joy of obeying unless he bids you to do something for which his bidding is the only reason? I think C.S. Lewis knew well what this verse meant. You see, obeying not because you agree, but purely because God tells us something. So here's an uncomfortable question for us all and one that I've been wrestling with this week. What do you do when you disagree with God's commands? Do you just ignore it? Do you explain it away as if you'd ripped it out? Or do you displace it by adding something else in? See, last week we heard some fairly strong words from Jesus on that. Or do you love and trust Jesus by obeying the bits of the Bible that you don't like? The bits that seem arbitrary. The bits that even, dare I say, sound offensive. Do you obey and trust Jesus? Or has your love for him and your honour for him grown cold? So what is it that you're struggling to obey God in? Let's take a moment to be quiet and then I'll lead us in a prayer. Lord Jesus, you know where each one of us is this morning. You know the better than each of us the things that are on our minds, the things that are concerning us, the things that we feel uncomfortable about. But Father, we thank you so much, first of all, for your love. We thank you that even when we were dead in our evil ways, that you forgave us, that you loved us so much it's mind-boggling, yet you forgave us even when there was nothing good about us. Thank you for doing that. And thank you, Lord, that that is free, that we don't have to try really hard, but you offer it to us freely. Thank you, Lord, so much. And thank you, Lord, that we are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come, that we are being renewed daily by you. Lord, we know that that isn't a finished process, that that's an ongoing process. And Lord, you know the commands 
of yours that we struggle with, the ones that we find hard, the ones that we would prefer that you didn't talk about in your word, or the ones that we struggle with that nobody else knows about. Please would you deepen our love for you. Please would you deepen our joy in you, knowing that you are God, that your ways are better. Would we know the deep delight of obeying you and the joy that comes from that? Would we be your humble servants who only want to please you? And we pray that for your glory. Amen.